0: Holy and gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each one of our hearts be holy and pleasing to you, that through your word for us this day, we would continue to grow closer to you, to renew our love and understanding of this season, and to see the birth of your Son, our Savior, anew in this day, that we may be ever drawn closer to your grace, your love, and your compassion. For it's in his name we pray, amen. amen. <clears throat> So, love is the final week of Advent. As I mentioned, this is the final week of Advent. We will celebrate Christmas Christmas Eve and Christmas this evening. It's kind of an awkward way for the season to happen because today's not actually Christmas. We're not actually celebrating Christmas yet. Tomorrow is the first day of Christmas. And so, we're here on this fourth Sunday of Advent celebrating love. Believe it or not, I had a lot of trouble with this sermon. And you may be thinking to yourself, but pastor, you preach about love like every week. It seems like every week you preach about love. How is it difficult when the theme of your sermon is actually love? Friends, I feel like I have run out of words. (laughs) I feel like I have run out of words this year. We are here on December the 24th, and there are no more words in my mind. The amount of words I have written and preached this year seem just insurmountable. So buckle up, here we go for a 40 minute long sermon, friend. No, I'm kidding. It just feels so weird to be thoughtless, especially when we are thinking about love, especially when I'm preaching about love. Again, because it just feels so embedded as a part of who we are and who we are meant to be. So I'm not sure why it feels so difficult to write this sermon about reclaiming love, right? As I do with every scripture, I, or as I do with every sermon, I read the scripture and then I, I listen for what God is trying to tell me, except this time I read the scripture and listened and then read the scripture again and listened and then read the scripture again and listened and God's voice just felt kind of absent, Nothing was ringing any grand bells about reclaiming love. And I think it is because it felt all too familiar. It felt like preaching love had just become something that I do, something that's always happening. And then I turn on the news or I see something happen in our community, something that doesn't feel very loving. And it breaks my heart. I somewhat started to think that I was like the prophets of the Hebrew Scriptures. Like I was Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, Elijah, Samuel. I felt like these prophets who continue to preach the Word of God each and every week, just hoping in some way, shape, or form that that God's message will break through to a world in need and never quite seen the fruits of God's kingdom here. This lack of love, this lack of hope, this lack of peace, this lack of joy that pervades our society, that fills the world around us. It just seems like God's message of love continues to fail to break through. That even in walking, even in seeing the birth of our Savior, even in knowing the story of what happens, still feels like we missed the mark. Right? We've been talking about this idea of reclaiming Advent, reclaiming these themes of Advent. We started with hope. We started with this idea that this, that this hope that we have feels like some long lost desire that we have we right, a gift given by God. But rather than finding the hope of God, we instead use God's hope. Yeah. This message of the second coming to numb ourselves to everything that's happening around us. This idea of God's salvation comes, becomes less a promise to the world and more promise for you and for me. And so we sought to reclaim hope as a promise that keeps us alert to God's will, to what God is calling us to do. Right? We do not seek the second coming, but we are assured in its promise, and its promise transforms us on a daily basis. And then we looked at peace. Seeing peace as this idea of of power and control over everything and all things around us. right? The peace, it sought order in the midst of chaos. But we found that true peace in God's Spirit works amid the chaos for God's order. When the power of this peace takes over, it looks unfamiliar and it turns the tables because it does not seek the same power that we think it needs to seek. And then last week we looked at joy. Right? We we focus on this joy in our lives that is measured by our achievements, by the goals that we reach, by some fleeting event that gives us this momentary feeling of joy. In contrast to God's joy and comfort, that much like peace does not come. Does not come in and immediately solve all of our problems, but it sits and it comforts us. It's found in the humility of Christ. It's not based on our external circumstances, but it's based on what is right here in our hearts. And now we approach this last week, this last message. It's like God's final message for us. We only have the hours of Advent are numbered. At midnight, it will be Christmas. Christ will be born. And the work of preparation that we have done in this season will end because now it will be time to learn from Christ. Now it will be time for action But friends, I struggle to reclaim love. I know, it seems a little heretical. Don't worry, your pastor's not afraid to admit when he's a heretic. I struggle because sometimes I just feel like we have so misunderstood the purpose and promise of God's love. I feel like we misuse and abuse it we use it for our own gains our own advantages we try to make it conditional we try to make it performative we try and make it what it is not and in doing so we miss this message of the gospel right here in front of us today This is the thing about love. There is no new message. It is the same love that it has been for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. It is the same love that God created us in. It is the same love that God called Israel in. It is the same love that Jesus is born into. It is the same love that Jesus died for us for. It is the same love that we are called to carry with us today. And the ultimate message of the Gospel is that God's love is for a world that misunderstands it, that misuses it, that abuses it, that has distorted that love. And yet, God still loves us. Unconditionally. Undeservedly. The thing I love about celebrating Christmas in 2024, really, I would have enjoyed celebrating Christmas in like the year 50 for this idea. We know the story, we know what happens right? It's so weird because in, in, in Christmas and Easter, we try and place ourselves in this situation of thinking, well, well, what did the disciples feel? What did the people who went through the event actually do? And see, the cool thing is we can play that game because we already know what happens, right? We know that Jesus is born in a manger, in a stable, not in a hospital, not with some great and fantastic nurses and doctors who can care for Jesus. Not with the abundance of families surrounding him. No, Jesus has Mary, Joseph, some strange shepherds off the street. And for the love of all that is good, a little boy who continues to drum into existence. <laughs> Somebody get him a, a dampening pad. Right? We know what happens. We know that this is not a birth befit of a king. Right, and yeah. The thing is, is that as we look at the story in our present time, we still yearn for the same thing the Israelites yearn for. We want this great and magnanimous king who comes to conquer everything. We want this Alexander the Great, this Julius Caesar who's going to come in with strength and power. Destroy our enemies and get rid of them. So that we can take control. So that when we say God is almighty, we can truly believe it. And yet, the almightiness of God is not measured in the number of nations we have conquered. God's almightiness is not measured in the number of armies we destroy. God's almightiness is not measured In those whom we assert our power over, God's almightiness comes in the lowliness of a woman chosen not for her power and rank, but chosen for her meekness and humility. Right here in this fourth Sunday of Advent, as we look at love, we approach the story of Mary. Right? Everybody always thinks that the third Sunday, the, the pink candle, it's the candle of Mary. That's why we talk about Mary. No, we talk about Mary on the fourth Sunday. Because Mary becomes this great example of love for us. Right? Mary, probably the earliest preacher of the Gospel, right here in Luke 1. We have the Gospel Proclaimed. Where we had two Scriptures for us this morning. We had the one that Barbara so beautifully read for us where we learned of this great birth where the angel Gabriel comes to Mary and says, you are going to have a child. And Mary's like, well, hold on there. Let's, let's walk through a couple of things before I agree to this, Okay. And what is it that we begin to see? We begin to see the slow unfolding of the story that God is telling throughout the ages. We begin to see the work that God has been doing since the very beginning of time. And what is told to Mary is that this child that she will have is going to be this great and this wonderful baby this great and this wonderful man who is going to transform the world who is going to do these amazing things and how can Mary trust that the angel is what that what the angel is proclaiming how can she bring herself into this position but the angel says look at what has happened to your sister, to your look at what has happened to Elizabeth in her barrenness she is bearing a child this child who will, who will in Himself come and lead the way for the child that you are about to have. And it's in this that as Mary begins to know and understand the story, that Mary hears and understands her own calling, her own place within it. Leading us to this, this second part of the scripture, we, we missed over a little bit of it, and we missed over this little bit where it, where Mary goes to Elizabeth, travels to stay with Elizabeth, and in this joy, the baby in Elizabeth's womb jumps and leaps. And so Mary and so Elizabeth knows that something great is happening, and Elizabeth proclaims this to Mary, and then on the, and then on the heels of that, Mary praises God seeing the true fruits of the journey that she is on, of what she has agreed with Gabriel to be a part of. And we hear the words of the Magnificat, a psalm of proclamation, one that tells us what is to come. I love to think of the Magnificat as as sort of the first proclamation of the Gospel. The first time that we hear the true story of Christ. Of what Christ will do. And of what God is doing in Christ. It is through Mary's great act of love that this is offered to humanity. It is her love for the work that she is doing and her call and proclamation. This message of hope, of peace, of joy grounded in her experiences of love. God's love for a people who seemingly have lost a reason to love God. Right? We hear Mary's proclamation. He has shown strength with his arms, he has scattered the proud in their thoughts, in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones, lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things, sent the rich away empty. He has helped His servant Israel in remembrance of His mercy, according to the promise He made to His ancestors, to Abraham and to His descendants forever." Right, this act of reverence that Mary places this, uh, this understanding in, this, this place she has with God, this love that she has for God, wholly submitting everything that her child will do to God's work in the world. And then we see who this baby boy will become. It must seem difficult to live up to this image that your mother proclaims before you're even born. You think Mary told him? This is is what you're going to do. You're going to go and do all of these things. You're going to be great and you're going to be wonderful and you're going to transform the world not through power, but through love. Christ comes in the world not so that we can understand or not so that we can misunderstand who God is. Christ comes into the world so that we can understand what love is. Christ allows us to meet God, to see God, to interact with God. Christ tears down the veil of the temple so that we no longer misunderstand what God has done for us. The problem is, sometimes we fail to recognize that in our lives. We still want that all-powerful, all-conquering... Sometimes we want that tough love. We think the world needs that tough love. That love to... To knock you into shape. The love that thinks if you do something wrong, you don't deserve it. <clears throat> but see, there is no tough love in Christ. The great thing about love is that it's always there. It, we, we don't have to earn it. Yeah. We don't have to do anything. We, we, all we have to do is breathe. And really that's questionable because God loves us in death too. Really, you just have to be created. Be a part of who God is. And this this may sound weird, but God doesn't even care if we love them back. God offers God's love freely to everybody. We love because God first loved us. God doesn't want our love to be conditional. God doesn't want our love to be performative. God wants our love to be genuine. I mean, let's be real. If God is God, God can force us to love Him. But God doesn't do that. God just loves us. God is like that person in our lives who never leaves, who never forsakes us, who's always there comforting us, guiding us, shepherding us. And so what is Mary proclaiming? Mary is proclaiming that in this time of Israel where they just seem lost. Right, the temple has, uh-huh. has been destroyed. They've been evicted to Babylon. They've come back to, to just a land that is, that is a barren waste. They feel lost and deserted. And in the midst of all of this, Jesus is born. Because God wants to show creation. This unmerited, this undeserved love. And what better way than to send for God to come and be with us? Right in our world, we have become so used to that conditional love it almost seems second nature to us. We add conditions. I love you if, I love you when. And right, we've talked about it before, there's space for that existence of love, right? The way that we love our families, the way that we love our friends, the way that we love our spouse, the way... But really, when we think about love, when we think about God's love, it doesn't exist like that. God's love is so much more than the love that we have for our family. It's so much more than the love that we have for for our friends. It is so much more than the love we have for our spouses. It is so much more than that love we have for those who are near and dear to us. Why? Because when we think about God's love for us, we know that even when we mess up, God's right there. When we do something wrong, when we fall short, God's there. And see, now it's up to us to reclaim that love. To not only love God as much as God loves us. Because yes, it's possible. Much as we think it is not, it is possible. And then for us to love creation as much as God loves us and as much as God loves creation. That we would look out and we would see a world in need and that we would seek to show God's love in it. That we wouldn't place conditions on God's love that, oh, if you're this way or if you're this way, but that we would say, God sees you. God loves you, therefore I love you. Come and be loved by God. Mary knew the work that her son would do. Her call of praise when visiting Elizabeth, it rings true for us even today. And this is the message that we hold on to. This praise of Mary becomes our praise as we approach these final waning hours of of Advent and move ourselves into Christmas. We transition into a time of Christ's presence with us, of God's presence with us. Being reminded of the love that God has for us and seeking to share it with others. Amen. Amen. And now let us.